verses 7 through 12. Acts 4, 7 through 12. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, we, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there any salvation in, for, in any other, for there is no other name under the heaven given um, un, among men by which we must be saved. Good afternoon. Appreciate Dennis leading those songs. He tied in, in very well with uh, a lot of the points of what we're going to be talking about tonight. And what we're going to be talking about tonight is a continuation of what I've been discussing the last couple of sermons. This is the third one. And that is uh, on how to teach the gospel, how to teach the gospel to someone who has not heard it. And my goal with this, and I'm, I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, it's not part of the lesson, but just to refer to, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, gives us the goal of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And, and I felt the need to be equipped in this sort of thing, and I thought other people might be as well, and so that's what we're going to continue to do. And I, I, I had a bit of a struggle with the, the title of this lesson. Because the, the first lesson that I did was on how the Bible is God's Word. This alone is our standard that we submit to. We talked about how it's complete, how we don't add or take away to how um, it's going to be the, the means by which ultimately we'll be judged. And that's a foundation to begin any discussion on. And then we talked about the, the, the plan of the Bible, the story of the Bible rather, how there is a problem of sin. But God wants to be connected to his people, and we looked at a number of places that kind of describe that throughout the, the Old Testament, but also we see that exemplified by his actions. And then we see that Jesus is the solution, and that um, he is the means to bridge that gap to be right with God. So you might think the next step would be the steps of salvation, and that's going to be lesson four. Because I, there are some obstacles between understanding what we have looked at and understanding and accepting Christ for, for, for who you, uh, for, for the means of your salvation, because it's one thing to understand it in your head. It's another thing to, to really, uh, truly, deeply apply that. And so let me go back. The, the, the initial slide is, what is not enough? And the question that, that, is, that is asking is, what is not enough in order to be right with God? Because there's going to be a lot of ideas if somebody has a, a religious background or not, that's going to get it in between them and accepting Christ his way. And I, I, I want to note, though, that, that Bible study certainly can be intimidating. Um, what if they ask questions that you don't have the answer to, for one thing? I would say, for one thing, don't worry about what you cannot control. 
Um, I would say that no one has the answers and, and to do your best. Sometimes that answer is going to be later. Let's, let's talk about that later or let's try to look that up and find it out together. But I would also say to prepare as best you can in general. And, and that's kind of what this lesson is. It's, it's a preparation to have some of the answers uh, before questions arise. And it might have seemed, I felt like I was, you know, moving along uh, with this, this powerful information, it felt to me, uh, about uh, what it means to, to be a Christian and how to become a Christian. And this kind of at first felt like a speed bump, but it feels, but I think it's very important to stop and answer questions. And for whoever it is that's listening to be able to remove doubt, remove obstacles. Um, we want to help them to understand what it is that they're, they're, they're getting into. And so the first thing that I wanted to look at about what is not enough it is not enough to be sure that I'm right. And this is probably going to be the, the, the point that we take the, the longest on. And we're going to go back to, to Proverbs, chapter 16. We're going to look at a few verses to, to try to describe this point. Because some common ideas that people have is, we're all just taking different roads to the same place. And that, that's something that I've heard people say more than once. I've also heard somebody say, I'll serve God in my way, you serve God in your way. Kind of a, you don't worry about me sort of a situation. But the Bible, it spends a lot of time addressing this idea, this idea of, of my way. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, we read, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And this is not referring to a right way to do things. This is not referring to uh, the right way to, to, to change a tire. We talked to uh, Rex Robinson about that, or the right way to, to put out a fire. I would talk to Kyle about that. These are things that are not addressed in the scripture. Although the things that are addressed in the scripture may inform some of those things, doing those things with integrity and and, and, and Fort Wright, every, every, you know, addr addressing your work as best it can. This is talking about the way that leads to your place of separation from God to your place of being right with God. And that is an entire way of being. And we can look at it, and it says here, again, there is a way that seems right to a man. And that way is the way to death. And those experiences, those, those skill sets and those ideas that we've learned, they've led us to put a certain bit of trust in ourselves, a trust that we can learn the right way to do things. But this is one thing that we cannot rely on ourselves to understand on our own. Let's look in Jeremiah. And this is, like I said, it's, this is the, the longest point that we're going to spend time on, Jeremiah chapter 10, because we're really having to break down something serious here. And I know that because is still something that I struggle with. You know, it's something that, that we all struggle with in a way, is trying not to choose our own way. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct himself, his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Here he says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. Now, we're supposed to 
we, we find out, take, uh, you know, in chapter 31 here, he talks about writing the word of God on our heart. In the New Testament, we read about taking the word and implanting it in us. But that is taking the goodness in the word of God and, and letting that take over who we are inside. This is describing that what is in man is not enough. That the way of, the way of man is, is not good enough. It is for us to accept God's direction. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. This is a real attitude of, of humility. This is a real attitude of stepping away from where we put our trust. When it comes to what is best, what is highest, towards reaching towards and attaining God, ultimately what we do best, unfortunately, is, is miss the mark. You know, uh, Dennis talked about this morning, this idea of sinning. That is what our way is good for. Proverbs describes that. Jeremiah describes that. Our way separates us from God. So we need a better way. Let's go to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15 is um, a verse that is a place. The context here is describing how the Israelites can, can succeed as people of God. How they can be people who are successful in maintaining a proper relationship with God. Because God desperately wants that. It's verse 37. He wants them to be right with him. And so he's giving them tools to try to be successful as being his chosen people. In verse 37 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. This was something that I, I remember learning about the, 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 the prayer shawls or the tassels on the garments and thought that was such a kind of a weird thing that they did. But having looked back on that with experience, what is he telling them to do? He says, you need a reminder. And that reminder needs to be hanging off of your clothes because you are not going to do well. It says that you are most inclined to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. That is what you are inclined to do. So, you know, you understand an inclination. If you put something on it, it's going to roll downhill. So when in doubt, you're going to do things your own way. So I want you to put tassels on your clothes so that when you walk and that you move, you, you are continually reminded of me, God, and my way, my commandments, so that you shall remember to do my commandments. And he concludes that by reminding them, hey, remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And he does this a lot. He does this um, a few chapters later when he says um, that thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. So you don't love your neighbor because any other reason but because he is the Lord your God. Maybe this point is made. I don't know, but we're going we're gonna to read another scripture or two. Um, Proverbs chapter 3. Let's go back to Proverbs because we're, 
the, the thing about wisdom is that it tells us a lot about the world, but ultimately so much of it tells us about ourselves. In Proverbs chapter 3, and this is one of the verses that I just, I struggle with. I do. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. The conclusion of that is beautiful. He will make straight your paths. He will make your way easy. He will make your way right. But in order to do that, you have to trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your being, with all your understanding. And instead of, and do that instead of leaning on your own understanding. And I say I struggle with that because, because I do. Because the first thing that I think of when things are difficult is not immediately to go to scripture or prayer. Occasionally it is. But, but more often than not, it's I, I start to, what, what, how can I solve this puzzle? How can I... Um, be a better Christian? How can I be a better father? How can I be a better husband? I, I think about these roles that I'm a, a part of, and I, I often try to, I'm puzzling these things out. I mean, I, I, have, I have spreadsheets about these things, you know, I have lists about these things for me to think about and how to fulfill those things, but the, the majority of those things are my thoughts, you know, and sometimes I'll even, you know, I'm looking out on the internet, now, it's not always easy to just, you can't flip a book of concordance, you know, how to be the best father you can be. But, you know, um, there are things there. And, and the ultimate thing, though, that he says is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust means you don't always get to understand. And Dennis Westbrook in his lesson a few weeks ago was talking about how the, the sufficiency of the Bible. That doesn't mean that every answer for every question is in the Bible. But every answer that you need is, is in the Bible. So you can trust in it for everything that you need. And if you, it says lean not on your own understanding, and that's because your own understanding is faulty. I've learned that. It doesn't hold weight. And we need things that hold weight because life is heavy, especially a meaningful life where you're pursuing things that are worthwhile. It's a heavy life. But it's a good life because Christ wants to help bear your burdens. God wants to help. But the world wants to say, instead of these things, they want to say, I did it my way. And there's a Frank Sinatra song that, that describes that. And it makes it sound brave. And, but when I hear that, I did it my way, I can't help but as a father to think about the conversation that I've had with my children where you can't always have your way. And how these adults want to claim, I did it my way. I teach my children that because I want them to be more and better than an infant. Who, when an infant is born, their needs and their wants are the same thing. And as you grow, you realize that your wants aren't actually needs. And you learn how to work with other people and not let your wants be the commanding factor in your life. Because if you do, then you're a slave to those things. But as Christians, we don't want to say, I did it my way. Instead, we want to say, I did it God's way. Because God's way is going to lead to God. And that is our aim, that is our goal and our pursuit. So to that end, let's look at John chapter 14. 
If God is the way, how do we get to him? Remember, perhaps, from the last lesson, this idea that God wants to dwell amongst his people. And we saw that with uh, the tabernacle. We saw that with, with, uh, with, with Bethel. We saw that with the, the temple. And we see that with the exhortation for us to make our lives and our bodies into temples for him, that he might dwell in, in us and that we might reveal him to the world. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way. There is no other truth. And anything that is not to him in life is to death. He gives us these three positive statements and then says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's something that's beautiful. Wow, Jesus is the way. Let me examine and focus on the gift of Christ and the Messiah that's been sent, the gift of God so that I might be connected with God in, in heaven one day. But what this is implying also is that my way is not the way. If I'm sure that I'm right, then something is, um, something is dangerous, something is a trouble. There is a wall between me and God, or, or me between me and, and going on the way that I should go. And Dennis let I surrender all. And that's a powerful song that I sing with hope that I will surrender all more than that I've mastered it, you know? Uh, one more verse on this point is in Matthew chapter 7. And the point might be made with someone that comes along to this quickly, but I just think that this is uh, a tall wall to plow through. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It's important for us to, to address this, and, and, and ultimately what we're doing with this, this, this study is, is saying less of me and more of you, and it's, it's a humbling thing, and nobody likes to be humbled. And so it, it, to me, I thought... I try to, I've been trying to, on these points, put three scriptures just to kind of keep things moving along and keep things simple, but we went with maybe six or something here because it is not easy to accept. But in John chapter 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard and leads to life, and there are few who find it. And, and what that tells you amongst other things, is that the easy way, the inclination way, the way that most people are going to follow is the way of destruction. And you have to be willing to be different and do different and think different and look for the narrow gate. Look for the way that is hard because it leads to life. Now remember back in Proverbs it says that he will make straight your paths. So is, is it the, the path that is difficult? I think it is us that makes the path difficult. I think that, that, that the way is straight because it, it leads to life. And God is meant, Christ is straightforward. It is meant to be something that, is, that we can pursue and walk towards him. But it is the way that we walk it that makes it hard. 
Whereas the way that is wide and easy, it doesn't really matter which way you go. It's whichever way you wish to go, and that's what makes it so easy. But ultimately, where does it end? It ends in destruction. So for me to say, I don't, I don't think I need Jesus. I think, I, I think I'm, I, I'm doing okay. I think that I know something about myself. I think I, I'm right already. That is not enough. That is not enough for salvation. The next idea is that it is not enough to be religious. And I think that some people may uh, already have a good uh, inclination or understanding of this, but it's easy to sometimes see someone who is very religious and think that that is something that has great merit on its own. And we're going to look at two examples. One is um, Paul, Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, we see that Paul was one who... We, we look up to that he was one who had an, an immense connection to Christ and to, to the service of God and brought many people to God. But that is not how it started out. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, it says that he did all of those things with a pure conscience. That he slept great at night after pulling Christians out of their home. That he was entirely comfortable knowing that he was right. Knowing that he was acting with the approbation and the support of his religious leaders, that everything that he did, he felt was good and religious and right. But was it right? No, he, t he tells you that it, is, it was absolutely wrong. He was working contrary to God himself, contrary to Christ. And when, when Christ spoke to him on the road, he said, why do you persecute me? Not why don't you persecute my lambs, my followers, why are you persecuting me? You are opposing yourself to the creator of the universe. Another example that I won't throw in, but I would say that there are people that we see, and, and maybe some of this is even going on right now, that people that are willing to sacrifice their life for their religion. And, and, and there are people that actually strap bombs onto their body because they feel like it is the best service of their religion to blow themselves up and kill other people in that process. And on one hand, we think, how abhorrent, how bizarre. But imagine the zeal it takes to do something like that. And imagine the, and I'm sure they have social pressure and things like that from the people that are pushing them to do this, but imagine the, the belief that what they're doing is, is right and good and that their, their religion is right and that there is a reward for them after what they do. And is that going to lead them to heaven? It's not. The other place that, that I would like to look at, and I think I'm not going to read the whole story, but is in Acts chapter 8, looking at the Ethiopian eunuch. And in verse 26 through 39, you read the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And that would be something that you would want to read through with somebody. Um, and... What we can note about that, as you read through that whole account, is that the Ethiopian was devoted. He traveled from Africa to Jerusalem because he wanted to worship. 
But what did he need? What did Philip teach him? It said that he told him the good news about Jesus. That he was reading in Isaiah and he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? So he's one who is seeking and that's going to be what makes him also one who is receiving. But Philip said he told him the good news about Jesus. What was the result of that? He said, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And he was baptized. And then he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing because his way was now Christ's way. Christ became his way and he rejoiced. And we too can rejoice in that. But because it was based on the word, it was based upon Jesus and nothing else. These people were very religious, but not right. And you might know of people who are deeply religious. I, d I do. But their belief is based on something other than the word. They might even be, they might even, I, I've, I've had some, some acquaintances that are, that, are, that are Mormons, that are devout, and you see it in every aspect of their life. And it's impressive. But they're basing their understanding on how to serve God on things other than the word of God. They've gone beyond. So it is not enough to be religious. It is also not enough to be a good person. And I, I've heard that a lot, um, at least a number of times. Well, they, they're a good person, and I hope that that's enough. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 was a verse uh, that Dennis brought up this morning. <clears throat> and it's one that it's important for us to, to know. Because it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark and fall short of, of who God would have them to be. We also read and understand that all have transgressed the law. All have committed iniquity. So there are no people that are good in the terms that the Bible talks about being good. The, the rich young, young ruler spoke to Christ and said, good rabbi, good teacher, and Christ himself even said, only God is good because that is where your orientation needs to be. But remember this idea of separation. Our iniquities separate us. It's not about balance. Do you do more good or, than bad? It's, that, that's not how it works. It's a matter of separation from God. That, that must be what overcomes it. One cannot be good enough to atone for their separation from God. And there's a great example of this as well. In Acts chapter 10, there's uh, the story, uh, the, the history, the recognition of Cornelius. And this is a, a beautiful story in so many ways, partly because it's when Gentiles are welcomed into the church. But in, in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, it really shows us some, some very powerful things beyond that fact, that, that revolution and that change within the church. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continuously to God. That's a good man, right? Um... If you're looking at qualities of a human being, I mean, uh, he's, he's more good than I am. <laughs> because how did he, he, 
He was a devout man. Uh, devout means devoted, sincere, committed. He feared God, not just himself, but he feared God with his whole household. His whole household feared God because of the way that he feared God. And that's not a simple or an easy thing. He gave generously. So he was, he was a giver. He was a servant. And he prayed continuously. That is a good man, is it not? That is a good man. But if you go to verse 44, good wasn't enough. Good wasn't enough to bridge the gap between Cornelius and the Almighty God. In verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. God told them and showed them that these people can be saved. But what did they need to do to be saved? They needed the full steps of salvation up to and including baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. So no matter how good Cornelius was, it is not good enough to be a good person for us to be saved. Uh, last point here is that it is not enough to believe in Jesus Christ. And this is also commonly, this is, this is a big stumbling block. You've heard people say that you need to accept Jesus into your heart. You need to pray the sinner's prayer and receive salvation. So we're going to go to James. James chapter 2. And that is something that we uh, need to know. It's a place that we need to understand. And we're going to read a few verses here because to me this, this is... It's so dangerous that the devil has worked so hard to pervert the steps of salvation to the point where somebody would say, I believe in Jesus. And then he's like, okay, job done. Don't cross the finish line. Don't act on your belief. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? And by the way, let me, let me say, I, I Sean taught me that the word faith is the same as the word believe. He was, he was a Greek scholar. That was something that he focused on a great deal. And I, I remember going to him and I said, hey, man, that's, I, I tried to make a differentiation. He said, there's not a differentiation. So what good is it, my brothers, if someone says they believe? Because faith somehow seems like mysterious or like it has this great import on its own. But when you say believe, well, you know, you can believe in a lot of things that don't have merit. Going down to verse 17, but also faith by itself, 
if it does not have works is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And this scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. This discourse is amazing because it says faith is not enough. And it also says works is not enough. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. But as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Imagine if Noah said, I, I believe God spoke to me and had not built the ark. Imagine if Abraham had heard God speak to him and called him out and said, he has made me these great promises, but then he stayed in Ur. Imagine if Moses had seen the burning bush and believed in Yahweh and stayed in Midian. It doesn't lessen faith. It fulfills faith when you act on it. If you believe in it, you're going to do something about it. And we don't pick what that thing is. And I've learned a lot about baptism, and I think I have a better understanding than I used to. But for a long time, my answer, why baptism? And my answer was, it doesn't matter. Because baptism does now save, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3.21, because that is what God chose. And I choose God's way, not my way. Matthew chapter 7 is a startling verse to me, and it's something that I have struggled with in some ways. I maybe still do, but I think I've cracked a little bit of it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. We need to, for someone that says, but I believe in Jesus, isn't that enough? And maybe you're studying someone who, who has a great deal of religious experience and thinks that they have done enough because they prayed the sinner's prayer and Jesus came into their heart. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. That's not correct. Oh, I'm in Mark. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And I'm sure you can pick out why this is challenging as well as it is something that can give hope. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And just, they didn't say, Lord. They said, Lord, Lord. They said it twice. They meant it, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I say this is a challenging verse because it's scary, the idea that somebody could say, Lord, Lord, Look at what I did. And he says, I, I did not know you. Some people will call Jesus Lord. And they will say some of the right things. 
and they will do some of the right things. It says they fought against evil. They cast out demons. They did mighty works in your names. But here Christ says that is not enough. He says, I never knew you. And, and there's two things I think that we can draw from this. One is, in verse 21, it says, the one that will enter the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, not their own will. And so that tells us something about these people that said, Lord, Lord, and they acted in these ways. Why did they do those things? They did those things on their own will. They did them in Christ's name, but they did those things in their own will. The other clue is, he said, in verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I thought, but I'm a worker of lawlessness sometimes, and, and I'm a sinner, and I need your grace, and I need your love, Father. So how is it that I get that? And he says, I never knew you. Therefore, your, your sins, you being a worker of lawlessness, separates you from me, because I never knew you. So these people... They did some works, didn't they? But they didn't do it in faith. They didn't do it for God. They didn't do it for belief in God. They did some of these things because they wanted to do them. And we mentioned earlier this idea of accepting Jesus into your heart, and we want to put Jesus in your heart. That's a goal for, for who we are and, and who we need to be. But that's not the step of salvation. That's a step of sanctification. That's a step of after receiving salvation. That's the goal of perfecting your salvation is getting Jesus in your heart and letting him shine out into the world around us. The next step is to get into Jesus. That's how you get saved. And we will talk about that some more Next time, how is it that we get into Jesus to be saved? Um, the key idea here is that what we've talked about is, is that it is not enough to be right. It is not enough to be religious. It is not enough to be a good person. It is not enough to believe in Jesus. We have to allow ourselves to be made small to bury that old man so that you can rise up and walk in newness of life. We have to, but along with that is those ideas, those, that sense of self must be limited, must be torn down so that we can be made new, so that we can enter into Christ and so that he can live through our life. In the scripture reading, Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, there is no other name by which we must be saved than Jesus. Any other name, any other idea is not enough. So I'd ask, hopefully, this is something that, that you can look at and, and you could teach. And I, I made slips again just to stick in your Bible, Lesson 3. I think Lesson 1 and 2 are still back there. Should you be inclined that this is something that you look at these scriptures with somebody and you frame them with your own words and you carry them to them and you build that relationship because my words are not what's critical in this sermon those words, those scriptures are what is critical, and if you have that, then you can help someone. But for me, this is challenging as well, because sometimes I think it's enough to be right, and sometimes I think it's enough to be religious or to be good, or think that what I know and believe is enough. But what we do as Christians, we need to challenge ourselves to continually lessen self 
and accept him. And the invitation song touches on that beautifully. I have decided to follow Jesus, not my own way, but his way. I have decided to follow Jesus. And if you need to hear what it takes to follow Jesus, to commit your life to him, uh, I would love to talk about that. Uh, we don't have time to right now. That's the next lesson, right? But we would love to sit down with you and talk to you one-on-one -on -one about what it means to accept Jesus Christ into your life, to get into him and let him begin to live in you and to bridge that gap that has been separating you from God. Or if his brothers and sisters, you've been struggling and living a life that is not enough and want to ask for your help of your brothers and sisters in Christ, we'd love to help you. Come forward now while we stand and sing the song of invitation.